Humanizing History is a show about people in history that have made an impact on our world. We will be exploring what made them important, but our main focus will be on who that person was outside of well-known records. We will be exploring who these people were, what they hated, who they loved, why they are, who they are, and other less-known information about their lives, all in order to show the world that no one is perfect. We are all human and make mistakes, but that does not mean we can't be great and have a profound impact on tomorrow. This is the Humanizing History Podcast. I am your host, Cliff. And this is Nick Downey. Nick, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Had a nice restful weekend and just getting back into the swing of things for the week. How are you doing? Yeah, about the same. Pretty relaxing. Yeah? Cool. Yeah, it was a good time. <laughs> um, I'd like to shout out Mike Cunningham, who is the host of Gill Athletics. Now, this is spelled G-I-L-L, so I don't know if it's Gill or Jill. I imagine Gil. I'm, I'm guessing Gil. I don't think I've ever heard Jill. Gif and Jif. I was you know, going to say, that. is this the Gif and Jif thing? But please go out and give a listen to his podcast. He provided the intro for us, and we're very thankful for him for that. So thank you again, Mike Cunningham. Yeah, thank you very much, Mike. And remember, guys, if you want to be a part of the show, you can also feel free to submit your voice recordings of our intro through Anchor or through... Uh, you can also do it through via email, whatever. Just get it over to us. It typically is in the show notes, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, all the information's in the show notes. If you do email it, just make sure it's MP3 format. Yes, MP3 would be very helpful. All right, well, with that house cleaning kind of out of the way, we're going to do kind of a hatredizing history instead of a humanizing history for this one. Um, I just felt like going a little off the rails. A little dark? A little, yeah, well, really dark. A very dark. <sighs> They, this is going to sound bad, but these kind of interest me a little bit more. I think I like true crime podcasts and things like this. So these evil people and these evil people in history, they spark my interest. So they don't just spark your interest. They spark millions of people's interest. Yeah. And that's why there's so many crime documentaries and crime shows and all the serial killer podcasts. I must have five of them that I'm listening to. Well, just think about it. How many Ted Bundy films or documentaries are on Hulu and Netflix and all of those? Yeah, so... It's nuts. Everybody in America, across the world, really, is interested in this. I think it's because most people are not like this. Right. So they want to kind of dive into that person's life and figure out what went wrong. Right. How was their head wired that made them so screwy? Right. And I think another thing, too, I think some people, like, look at it and see, well, could I have done that? Like... How would have I inter- how would have I you know responded to this situation? So I think you're right in a few ways. And a lot of times when I'm looking up stuff for the podcast, I think about this person. I go, well, I wouldn't have done that. But then you know, later on I'll come back and go, well, seeing how they reacted to this or seeing the information that they got, I can see why they reacted to that. And if right. I was given the information the same way, I probably would have reacted the same way or whatever, you know, right. just as an example. Not with today's guest. Um, <laughs> today's but, guest, are we bringing in? <laughs> yeah. Back from the grave today is going to be... No. Uh, today's person, if you can call him that, is actually going to be Timothy McVeigh. Timothy McVeigh. I know yes. the name. I kind of know what he did, but I really don't know too much about him, so I'm going to be interested. So, Well, we're going to go into it 
about what he did, but we're also going to talk about uh, my family has a personal story tied to this, which seems to be happening a lot recently. Is he your alter ego? He is not my alter <laughs> ego, no. Uh, distant cousin twice removed, though. No. Um, <laughs> Nick just gave me a look like, are you serious? <laughs> so, yeah, without further dudes, we'll, we'll just jump into to the life of Timothy McVeigh and try to learn about him and, you know, not idolize him at all. Right. <laughs> learn what not to do. Yeah. So, first of all, he was born in New York, so just don't do that. Okay. Well, my dad was born in New York, so I guess he's screwed already. <laughs> Timothy McVeigh was born in Lockport, New York, as the second child of three children to parents Mildred and William McVeigh. Okay. Mildred. That, Mildred. That'll set you off. You know, that may have been his issue. <laughs> his mom's name? <laughs> he grew up a typical kid for the most part, but he was really shy and he dealt with a lot of bullying. Okay. Which I kind of think back in New York in the day, didn't everybody get bullied? Isn't New York kind of like, we're from New York, we're tough. Okay, I think if we look back in all of our lives, I can't name one person who wasn't bullied. I Were was. you bullied to oh, an extent? All the time. I was the fat kid growing up, so of okay. course I got bullied. But I'm the person I am today because I persevered, persevered through exactly. it. Exactly. And... I I eventually just was like screw it and they were they never made fun of you if you didn't react so it was just yeah. like okay whatever so I became the class clown did you I did hundred percent you know what I did it is I ended up just being friends with everybody like yeah. I was those per- I was that person I wasn't popular by no means was I popular in high school in when you look at like Hollywood popular I was I knew everybody and I could sit with these people at lunch one day sit with these people at lunch one day I just knew everybody. And it just made life so much easier. I don't, I don't. I didn't get along with a lot of people in high no. school. But that was when I was becoming that adolescent butthole that everybody right, becomes. Right, and you I had. I think I just hit it a lot You had guyliner and baggy black <laughs> I pants. I did not use guyliner. <laughs> you said you did in one of our other episodes. Like once. Like once, uh-huh. Like you, once a day. You've never put makeup on? I mean, maybe for... Oh! No, okay, time out, time out. <laughs> I was in theater in high school, so I probably put it on then, but... Oh my goodness. You did hang out with everybody. I really did. Okay, Cliff, just because you have no acting talent doesn't mean you can make fun of us thespians, so. Going back, he was bullied, like I think most kids were, Mm -hmm. but he would come home and often fantasize about retaliation against the bullies, and stated that later in life, he thought the government, the U.S. government, was the ultimate bully that he had to retaliate against. I can understand the bullying part of the government. The retaliation part, I don't agree with. Well, there's right ways and wrong ways to retaliate. Right. Now, just real quick, are we going much more into his childhood, or is that pretty much it? Uh, yeah, we'll go a little bit into it. Okay. We got another, just a few more minutes, but that's not real where the real core of the issues gotcha. are. Does he show any signs of craziness? You know how like you always see like those serial killers that have abused animals or done just weird things no abuse of animals nothing super weird yeah Uh, he didn't have a lot of friends like his only friend was his grandpa kind of thing okay um his parents divorced so he didn't see his sisters he would live with his dad his dad was never home gotcha but nothing that isn't basically typical today yeah no warning signs nothing he wasn't starting fires he wasn't you know looking at weird stuff he wasn't killing animals he wasn't been or anything like that not that we know about at least yeah so since both mom and dad worked when they were kids when they were still married both parents were gone a lot of the time okay so he was left alone most of his life he was the turnkey kid kind of yeah okay but again 
a lot of kids were. Right. Even now, which is unfortunate. But Yeah. So his parents ended up divorcing when he was about 10 years old. So his mom took the two girls and moved to Florida. He stayed with his dad. And since his dad worked and his mom was now gone, he was basically home alone all day long. He went to school, came home, and was alone. Wow. Had to fend for himself. And what we talked about a minute ago was he didn't have any friends. His only real friend was his grandpa. And the way that they bonded, like countless millions of other people, um, were over firearms. Okay. So I don't know when the first time was that you shot a gun, but for me, I was six. Oh, wow. Okay. My dad took myself and my brother out, actually to where Anthem is now. Interesting. Okay. And we went out there, we went out shooting. I actually didn't get exposed to firearms until much later in life. I think I was, well, not much later. I think I was 15 was the first time. Okay. Um, we just never grew up around firearms. And you know what's funny is we didn't, my dad always had a gun or two, mm -hmm. but I never saw him. We didn't really know anything about him until, yeah. you know, one day I see him cleaning the pistol. The next day we're out shooting it. Yeah. And then it was back in the safe yeah. and we never saw it again. So I wasn't really exposed to firearms until one of my best friends in high school, his dad was a member of Phoenix SWAT. Oh, cool. And I remember the first time I went over there to hang out or spend the night or whatever. And there's just, you know. Semi-autos, like, I think he had one fully automatic gun, just, like, that was just normal in their house, just chilling out, and, well, yeah. That was normal for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, I don't think you should just have guns out laying around. Right. Especially if you have kids. Right. But that's my opinion. Yeah. I know, like, my wife's uncle used to tell me about how he grew up in Montana, and it was hunting season, everybody's driving their pickup trucks to school, you know, high school, and they got guns in the back of their truck. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they'd... Oh, hey, you know, the principal, I got a new 30 out 6 Here it is. Check it out. And oh, cool. You know, nice. Yeah. I got one just like it, you mm -hmm. know. And no one thought twice it, about it. Yeah, it was just a tool, just like mm -hmm. a pocket knife, like a, As it anything be. else. Absolutely. But his grandfather taught him how to responsibly use firearms, how to clean them, and how to handle them in a responsible manner. Yeah. Now, this is where his life starts to turn kind of a dark turn. Okay. He reads a book called The Turner Diaries. Okay. Have you ever heard about this book? No. Okay, so I didn't hear about this until I started looking into him. Okay. The Turner Diaries is a book that was published first in 1978. Uh, the protagonist, Earl Turner, takes part in an apocalyptic overthrow of the system. Okay. The system being the, the government. The government, yeah. Turner and his fellow insurgents wage a race war, which begins in North America and then spreads to the rest of the world. In one part of the book, it details a truck bombing of an FBI building in Washington, D.C. Oh, wow. Okay. Which may have helped inspire McVeigh's target later in life. It sounds very similar. Yeah. So, I don't know this book. I've never read it before. I didn't even right. know it was a thing. So, I went and looked it up. And this book is simply a racist manifesto of the author, William Luther Pierce. He was actually a professor of physics at... Oregon State University. Okay, interesting. A, yeah, a senior researcher for Pratt and Whitney, okay. and the founder of the National Alliance, which was a white supremacy group. Interesting. He was also an just all around asshole. <laughs> so, how did he get a hold of this book? So, this book was for sale, just here and there. Oh, so he just bought it. Okay. Yeah, he just purchased the book and decided to live his life based off oh, of it. Okay. <laughs> Great thing. You know, some people follow the Bible, others follow the Quran. This guy follows whatever the hell this yeah, is. Yeah, the so. Turner Diaries. The Turner Diaries. Very, very, yeah. While he was in high school, he became interested in computers, 
and actually hacked the government computer system using his Commodore 64 <laughs> under the handle The Wanderer. The Wanderer. Yeah. In his senior year, he was even named most promising computer programmer at his high school, Starpoint cool. Central High. Nice. Yeah, so, you know, maybe he's starting to turn around a little bit, right? He ended up graduating high school with a partial scholarship. Wow. Because okay. most of his grades were bad up until, like, he ended. Up until the last year, then his grades turned around. He started getting really good grades. So he so found he, something he was passionate about, something he could get behind. and Absolutely. Cool. And he ended up getting a partial scholarship for it. I keep saying cool as if this guy like ended up doing something great. The but... cool is just, okay, I understand. Right, yeah. I know. These are these are nice things if you were to, you know, win a Nobel Peace Prize. But for what he ended up doing, <laughs> yeah. screw him. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so after high school, he attended Bryant and Stratton College for a really short time before he just called it quits and dropped out. Where is that? I've never heard of that school. There's actually a few of them okay. across the... Uh, New England. Okay. So I don't know which exact one he went to. Gotcha. But okay. it was so short, it really doesn't seem to matter. After dropping out of college, he attended boot camp and decided to become a soldier in the okay. Army. In the Army, okay. In in 88, he graduated from boot camp okay. and joined the U.S. Army. He was a model soldier for the most part. Okay. But he was once reprimanded for buying a white power t-shirt at a Ku Klux Klan rally. <laughs> He says that he and the other servicemen that bought these t-shirts did it to protest the black soldiers that were allowed to wear black power t-shirts on the base. Okay, so I don't necessarily agree with what the Ku Klux Klan believes in. Of course not. I can see Timothy's rationale with it. And I hate agreeing with these types of people, and I don't agree with what he did. But I get where he came from. Well, yeah, and actually, so before the podcast started, Nick and I were talking like we usually do, and I mentioned to him, like, I hate the fact that there are some things I agree with with mm-hmm. Timothy McVeigh. Obviously not blowing up buildings and, you know, murdering people. But later on, we'll find out some of the things I agree with him on. But it's not this. I have a feeling, though, that... I see where he came from. If they can do it, why can't I do it? If it's right. good for the goose, it's good for the gander. Right. But at the same time, he was also living his life based off that book. Right. So I kind of just feel like he was a racist that wanted to wear a racist t-shirt. Right. And so It wasn't for actually standing up for his rights. Exactly. It was, I actually believe in this, but I'm going to kind of just wash it over with, oh, it was because I thought my rights were being violated, or whatever. To me, that seems like he's testing the waters, or he's using that as a scapegoat. Of course. But I wasn't there, so I don't know. Now, Timothy didn't drink, he didn't smoke at this time, and he didn't do drugs. He was rarely social while he was in the army. Instead, he would rather spend his free time focused on reading in the barracks by himself. McVeigh was an amazing shot with the 25mm cannon that was commonly found on the Bradley fighting vehicles, and because of the one reprimand, because he was a great shot, because he just did everything he was supposed to do, he was promoted to sergeant. Wow. Which, you know, fine. That, that's, that's hard work right there. <laughs> it's know? hard work, but at the same time, just black, white, Mexican, Asian, Eskimo, I don't know, whatever. If you're racist... Towards, towards anybody, I really don't think you should be in power. Especially when you could be leading people of those backgrounds that you don't agree with. Exactly. Here nor there, whatever. He did eventually make a couple friends while he was in the army, though. Now, these people become his future accomplices. Okay, great. Shocker. They are Mike Fortier 
and Terry Nichols. Okay. Now we'll fast forward just a little bit to 1990. When Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait with the intent to annex the country, coalition forces from 35 nations were led by the U.S. into the region to combat the dictator's troops. That's nuts that that was 30 years ago. No, it wasn't. <laughs> in my head, it wasn't. The 70s is still 30 years right. ago. Right. <laughs> so I was born in 90. Oh my so this would, this would put this 30 years ago. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. Now, Timothy was one of the first people there and one of the first people to see combat. In his biography, he says that he killed a man and watched his upper body disappear into a red mist. And at the time, hoorah, he cheered for it. He's like, you know, I'm just fighting the enemy. This is what I got to do. But later on, he stated that this came back to haunt him. So who killed who again? So Timothy McVeigh had a 25 millimeter cannon that right. he was shooting. There was one of Saddam's troops okay. that he saw, pulled the trigger, the guy just turned up okay. mist, okay. essentially. And in an interview with 60 Minutes, he said that as he moved further into the country, the war started to come to an end. He had just lost all empathy for humanity. Wow. He had seen what war can do to somebody, and he decided that he's done. He doesn't see a reason. It, unfortunately, this is one of those cases where you get desensitized to death, and it almost becomes... It doesn't almost become, it does become a game or it becomes something that almost brings you enjoyment or you just don't care. Like, well, and you're 100% right because later on, after we talk about the bombing, he calls dead children collateral damage. Just nonchalantly. Yeah. Like it's no big deal. That's horrible. Yeah. Horrible. But unfortunately, that is one side effect of war and somebody going to war. Are, it can be, yeah. And obviously there, there are times and places I'm for war but there's also times and places where war is not necessary and I, it's it's so tough I, I have i have friends that have ptsd from being in the military they've seen you know people they've seen their best friends die right in front of them and i could never imagine having to go through that oh no no, no way it just it just sucks to see that this is kind of the extreme version of that but it this does happen he ended up trying out for the army special forces okay but he failed the psychology test twice wow okay because of this, he just accepted an honorable discharge and left the army. Decided he was done with it. So he didn't even want to go back to his normal post. It no. was either I make the special forces or I don't. Yeah. Continue. Wow. Okay. Now, after leaving the army, McVeigh wasn't able to find steady work. And he had a gambling issue. But he was able to get by by selling survival items and copies of the Turner Diaries at gun shows. So it had that much of a backing where he could actually make a profit by selling this book still. So, I mean, if you buy a case of books that are a dollar a piece, you sell them for a buck fifty, you're making a profit. You're not paying your rent with it. True. You know what I mean? So he never lived a life of luxury. Okay. But it was enough to get him enough money to get by. But he wasn't just selling the book. That was just part of it. He was selling survival equipment. He'd buy and sell guns, you know, to try and make profit off of them also. Gotcha. Okay. He also ended up going into business with his old army buddy, Terry Nichols. Okay. Do you have any idea what kind of business they started? Coin collecting. <laughs> Almost. I, Nichols? I just thought maybe it was a family name. <laughs> I didn't catch that till you said it. They started an army surplus store. Okay. That would make sense. Which, I love army surplus stores. Have you ever been to one? No, and I... So basically, does the army just make too much crap and it's just what's left? So it's mostly stuff that is left over 
okay. that they don't use or it's old, outdated stuff that they put on a pallet and sell and gets auctioned off to whoever. But they have, most of them have stuff from all over the world. They have like Russian gas masks and German helmets and Argentinian butt flaps. I don't know. <laughs> just just different stuff from different armies yeah. across the yeah. world. And they're really cool. If you're looking for a pair of boots or you're looking for like a, a nice vest or anything, dude, army surplus stores all day. Do they have any around? Yeah, there's a bunch. Okay. There we used to be a really nice one at 43rd and uh, Dunlap. Okay. But it moved. And actually, Mandy and I were planning this weekend to go there, but they were closed yesterday, so we're going to go sometime this week. Nice. What we should do, I know this is kind of off topic, we should get a couple MREs and see what in the world those taste like. I don't know. They can't be that good, but I'll try it. Yeah. I know a lot of people talk about them. There's there's one of them. I forget what it was, but like the brownie and it's like the best thing in the world. Really? So, yeah, we'll have to get some. Now, around this time that he's starting his business, McVeigh also began sending letters to newspapers complaining about taxes and government overreach. Now, this is where I can understand him. This is where I can kind of agree with him. One entry reads, taxes are a joke. Regardless of what a political candidate promises, they will increase. More taxes are always the answer to government mismanagement. They mess up, we suffer. Taxes are reaching cataclysmic levels with no slowdown in sight. I agree with that. I, I can understand that piece. <laughs> but he, he does go on. Is civil war imminent? Do we have to shed blood to reform the current system? I hope it doesn't come to that, but it might. He also, at this time, told his friends that he was positive the government had implanted a microchip into his buttocks. <laughs> And they were using it to track him. Out of anywhere they could have implanted it, his butt. His well, that's what he said. It was in his buttocks. Okay. So. So did does he know where like when this happened? Was it like an alien abduction and they gave him a little probe and you know? I, you know, I don't know. So it was in his butt cheeks, his buttocks. Okay, so it wasn't okay. But and you know what? Now that I think about it, just logistically, that seems like a good place to put it if you're gonna put one. Because it's going to be hard to get out by yourself. That's true. And I'm not really going to come to you and, hey, Nick, I got a chip in my butt. Will you help me get it out? <laughs> so if it's there, it's probably just going to stay well, there. Well, and if, you know, that's the cushier spot of your body, you know, exactly. you maybe wouldn't feel it. Yeah, well, I don't there know. There you go. All right. Well, if you're looking to microchip somebody, I think Nick and I have solved it. The buttocks is the, the best place. Well, don't give the government any sort of, like, ideas because... This is what's going to happen. Oh, we're all walking me. around holding microchips oh, all day long. It doesn't it's matter nuts. anymore. Yeah, I've the whole cell phone thing in your pocket. It's you know you, you hear people worried about the, the government trying to microchip you, and no, it, it's it's no, right. You're walking around it, you with are, a microchip in your hand. You are paying thousands of dollars for your microchip. Yeah, so you're being tracked yeah. now. They they probably don't do microchips in your body anymore because you're willingly walking around with one in your hand. Yeah, so. I'm not a conspiracy theorist or nothing. Just telling the <laughs> truth. Now, McVeigh also had road atlases with hand-drawn designations of the places that were most likely to survive nuclear attacks. And he even considered buying property. Guess where? Oklahoma. The great state of Arizona, Nick. Oh, good. In, Yay. Uh, in Seligman, which is actually a beautiful part of Arizona. The funny thing is, my aunt and uncle, they either still own property in Seligman or... They used to, I know for a fact they used to. Seligman, he determined, was, quote-unquote, a nuclear-free zone. And he even lived with... So, nuclear-free is in, like, no radiation? Yeah, nuclear-free is and he's an idiot. He doesn't understand how nuclear war, war works. Right. It, Arizona's not going to get saved any more than anywhere else is. We also have Palo Verde right there. Well, was like, Palo Verde... How old is Palo Verde? I don't know. Is it before? I don't know. 
that'd be interesting to find out. But you also got to look at how far Phoenix, like any major city, is from Sligman. But so Vegas is close too. Yeah, yeah. So I think he's just dumb. Okay. To be honest, I, I don't see anywhere surviving. But you know, whatever. But he also lived here in Arizona for a while. Okay. In Kingman. Interesting. Just the second worst place in, in Arizona. Dude, Kingman. Sorry, Kingman and, and what is the first worst? Tucson. No. Yes. Yuma. Yeah, Tucson's worse. Tucson's pretty bad. <laughs> if it wasn't for the college, Tucson would be useless. Yeah. I don't know, though. They have a gym show there like every two days. A what show? A gym show. Like gyms. Like stones, gems. Okay, yeah, that's, that's like their main export is gems and methamphetamine. Yeah. <laughs> Got to get your turquoise somewhere. Yeah, this is all leading up to around 1991, 92, 93, and this is when the Waco massacre happened and Ruby Ridge okay. happened. So a lot of people don't know a lot about this. I'm gonna go into them just in a nutshell, just mm-hmm. real quick, talking about this is what it was. Again, in a nutshell. Ruby Ridge happened in Idaho after Randy Weaver didn't show up to a court appearance. The officer stated he sold three sawed-off shotguns to him, to undercover officers, right. which is against the NFA. Mm-hmm. And so they were they gave him a court date. The court date was changed two times, and he wasn't notified. So he didn't show up to the earlier court dates. Gotcha. So U.S. Marshals were sent out to apprehend him on his property. The Marshals began throwing rocks at the house. To see if it would alert the dogs. Yeah, yeah. Of course it alerts the dogs. One dog started barking and started running out. Mm-hmm. 14-year-old Sam Weaver grabbed a rifle and went to see what is what was going on. Keep in mind, this is basically the middle of nowhere in Idaho. And if your dog's barking, there's a problem. Yeah. Whether it be an intruder, a wild animal, or maybe dinner. Because mm-hmm. they were running low on meat, so he was hoping for a rabbit or right. something. So he grabs his rifle and runs after the dog that's now running through the woods. He followed the dog to where he was eventually confronted by men in camouflage. Mm-hmm. Men in camouflage, that's it. No arm patches, they didn't yell anything, just men in camouflage. One marshal turned and shot the yellow Labrador right there and then. That's So this 14-year-old is running after his dog that's going off in the woods. Mm-hmm. He runs into six armed men in camouflage. They shoot his dog. That's awful. No yeah. reason. Okay. So he shot back, which I totally agree with him. Don't shoot, don't shoot my dog, especially on my own property. Right. Sam fired back at the guy who just murdered his dog and then began retreating to his cabin. When he was close to the steps, they shot him in the back and killed him. <sighs> After this, snipers were deployed, and before negotiators could get to the property, one sniper, John Horiuchi, shot Randy in the arm. Mm-hmm. Now, Randy had walked out. They had moved the child's body to a shed because mm-hmm. they couldn't bury him yet. Right. He went out there with his daughter and a family friend to see the body again. He turned, opened the latch, and that's when the sniper tried to shoot yep. him in the spine. It went through his shoulder. He turned around to retreat back into the house. His daughter ran in first, and as his daughter ran in, that same sniper shot through her into his wife's head that was holding their 10-month-old baby. Killed her instantly. She dropped the baby. His daughter's now shot through the chest. He's bleeding from the arm. That's nuts. And I believe... Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Have you seen the Netflix mini-sode... Not mini-sode, but mini-series Waco? I started watching it, but we never finished it. Okay. 
I believe they start off that show with this scene with that Ruby you're talking Ridge. about. And it, it's a very, if I remember correctly, it's a very good depiction of this whole thing. So if you guys want a kind of a visual, viewer discretion is, is advised. Always. But the first few scenes, I believe, in Waco uh, is about Ruby Ridge in the Netflix uh, limited series. And there's there's got to be documentaries about it somewhere. Mm-hmm. I just haven't gone out looked and looked for it. But you can read all about it. Yeah. So the standoff was eventually resolved after civilian negotiators were able to bring Weaver and Harris out peacefully, Harris being the family friend. After all was said and done, all charges were dropped against them, except missing a court date and then violating bail because of it. So after they were killed? After his wife and son were murdered. Murdered. And his dog was murdered and his daughter was shot and he was shot. Right. All charges had been dropped. And, but so, I bet you there was no, not I don't want to say retaliation, but there was no uh, consequences for those that were involved in those shootings. One of them was brought to trial, but all charges were dropped against him. The John Horiyushi, the okay. guy that killed everybody, um, scot-free, no issue. He was acting in a federal, I forget what they say, but he was acting in his, was job, his job duties. Yep. Just, yeah. So this is the only conviction in his life was violating bail and missing the court date. That was the only violation he ever had, only conviction he ever had. Now, weren't they trying to get him for something else? They were trying to get him. He, he was a racist. Like, I'll, I'll say it. He okay. was a racist and he was living up in the woods of Idaho being a racist by himself with his family. Which, you know what? Do what you're doing. He wasn't hurting anybody. Yeah. Um, but they were trying to get him on firearms charges because they said that some of the groups he belonged with sold guns or modified guns or whatever in a way that they weren't supposed to. Gotcha. But there was an underlying issue of him being a racist and but he was he was part of groups. I think that was part of why they wanted to you know get rid of him. Sure. Um, but they needed to find something else to get rid of him for. Punishment needs to fit the crime. And your wife being murdered over you joining some right. hate groups, I don't think right. it's worth it. Obviously, we don't, we don't condone hatred. But at the same time... Of course not. Yeah, the wife doesn't deserve to die. The kid doesn't deserve to yeah. die. The dog doesn't deserve to mm-hmm. die. And what is the deal with government agencies shooting dogs? Who else? The ATF does it all the time. The ATF has like a, a rolling tally of how many dogs they shoot per week. Like, that's not true. But they shoot so many of them, they might as well. Right. Like it, it, I'm going to go off on a tangent here. Anyway, Weaver and his family were later awarded $3.1 million out of court after suing for $200 million. Now, a Department of Justice official went on record to say that if they continued with the lawsuit, they probably would have won and got the $200 million because there was that much evidence against the government. That's nuts. And so they settled for three? $3.1 million. Still out of a lot court. of money, but two hundred million. Wow. Well, now so each one of his daughters got a million dollars, and he got a hundred thousand. Okay. Uh, Harris was awarded three hundred eighty thousand dollars. That doesn't seem like enough, but. Well, no, Harris at least wasn't shot. Mm-hmm. His family wasn't massacred in front of him. His dog didn't die. Okay. Harris was the family friend. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So again, that was just Ruby Ridge in a nutshell. Please go look it up for yourself. Now, the Waco Massacre was a raid by the ATF on a compound in Axtell, Texas. It's called Waco because it's like 10 miles away from Waco. Waco, So the government believed child abuse was happening and illegal firearms were being manufactured and stored there. 
So they decided to serve a search warrant, and they were told, no, you can't come in. Mm -hmm. Were they served a search warrant? They were served a search warrant. Okay. I didn't realize that. Now, bullets began flying. Both sides say it was the other one. ATF says, no, it was them. Davidians say it was ATF. We will never, ever know the truth. But bullets started flying either way. One suggestion was that the ATF fired on the dogs again <laughs> and on the compound, killing it, which prompted the Branch Davidians to return fire. Right. Now, to me, a dog is a dog, but it's still my dog. Yeah, it's A family. lot of people look at their dog like it is a human being, a yeah. child. You got to understand people treat animals a different mm -hmm. way. You can't just shoot somebody's dog and expect him to go, ah, oh, shucks, guess I'll get a new Sparky. Yeah, it's just a dog. You know, it's not just a dog, obviously. Yeah. But they're acting like it is. So now this shooting continued for over two hours. Right. Two solid hours mm -hmm. of firing. The FBI took over after this and negotiated a surrender if David was allowed to have a recording played on national media. This was granted. His yep. audio played across the nation. Yep. But David said afterwards that he was not going to honor his side of the deal and come out. He did, however, allow 19 kids to leave, mm -hmm. but their parents decided to stay. Yep. After this, the FBI cut off all water and power to the compound. They used sleep deprivation tactics and began using military vehicles to patrol the Davidians' compound yep. and even started crushing their cars that were parked yeah. out front. It was, it was a horrible situation, and you'll probably go into it, but... The, their last firefight, oh, man, it was nuts. So, you know, I didn't end up talking about the last firefight because mm -hmm. this was just in a nutshell. Yeah. But Janet Reno and Bill Clinton approved a final assault on the compound. Yep. This would be where essentially tanks were knocking holes in the walls. Yep. And then they were going to pump CS gas, which is tear gas, yep. in through these holes over the course of two days. Yep. And what, and I, I don't know if you'll, you probably will go into it, but that tear gas, unfortunately, they say it's not flammable, but it tends to be very flammable. After knocking all these holes in the building with, like I said, essentially a tank, one wall collapses, and at about noon, three fires break out around the compound. The government claims that it was set by the Branch Davidians. The Branch Davidians that survived said, no, this was caused by the government that was assaulting our homes. Yes. One wall failed completely and the entire roof caved in. So in total, 82 Branch Davidians and 4 ATF agents were killed. This standoff lasted nearly two months. And when they went in to, to recover some of these bodies, they, they thought that they had killed themselves by taking like cyanide, right? Mm -hmm. So they did a toxicology on them and found out that some of them had cyanide in their bodies. But they didn't find any cyanide at the compound. Turns out, when CS gas is burned, do you know what it produces? Probably cyanide. Cyanide. <laughs> so these people were dying. Because it was being burnt off. Yes. Which caused the fires, which burnt these. Now, Cliff did a very short synopsis on this. Just so you guys know, I do plan on doing a David Koresh episode at Ooh. some point. Uh, the reason for it, I know I'm going to bring it up again. Waco on Netflix is an amazing series, and... It's one of those series where I watched and couldn't decide who was the bad guy and who was the good guy. Obviously, I don't agree with what David Koresh stood for, believed in, but at the same time, looking at what the government did to him and to that group, 
was not right either. Yeah. And it it will tear you apart watching that series. But we will definitely do a David Koresh episode at some point and fair, probably in the next few months. I, I've been really wanting to do this one. so I'm excited yeah. for it. The aftermath of this was several of the defendants were later acquitted. Eight of them were convicted on firearms charges. Many of these were lessened after the charges were brought to higher courts. Again, 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 I cannot say this enough. This is a super, super simplified version of these events. Please go do your own research. With that out of the way, Tim watched Waco live on TV. The fact that it was live on TV is absurd, but... It gets even better. He even visited Waco while it was going on. You could... He visited... He visited the, the Davidian. He did. Oh, you couldn't okay. go to the compound, but he drove over there to see what was going on live That's with his own eyeballs. And he even had a little interview there with one of the reporters, which I was not able to find. After he witnessed this, he began experimenting with building pipe bombs. Because you know that's a natural uh, reaction. reaction to seeing. Yeah. Let's this. see. Let's see what a government agency can do to you, and let's start building pipe bombs. Yeah. Great idea. Well, he he just he sees the government is becoming too big, and he okay. sees them, you know, taking more and more power away from the people. Mm-hmm. So that was one little tidbit, you know. And then in 1994, Bill Clinton signed the assault weapons ban into law, which he thought was another breach of the Second Amendment rights. He was right. And later he claimed that that was the last straw in the government's overreach of his God-given rights. That was it when he signed the assault weapons ban. Now, Tim wanted revenge after this. I feel really weird calling him Tim. But Tim wanted revenge after this. And on certain targets, people okay. like President Bill Clinton, okay. Attorney General Janet Reno, okay. and Lon Horiuchi, the sniper. The sniper, yep. Wow, so he had very specific targets. He had targets that he thought these were the people that were specifically responsible gotcha. for what had happened right. in the last two years. Right. However, these are very difficult targets to get to. I was just going to say, yeah. I think the only one that may be, and I don't want to say easy, but I'd say the easiest one out of all of them is the sniper. I don't think so. So I think after all this, he kind of disappeared. Gotcha. Which is totally understandable, yep. but he he would have to get past security, bodyguard, pat-down checks to get to these people. Oh, Clinton so no would have way. been impossible to get to. Of course. So instead, instead, he decided to take a page from Islamic extremists that bombed the World Trade Center in 93 in their attempt to collapse one of the buildings, and he decided to blow up a federal building with a truck. He convinced Terry Nichols to join him, and they decided their target. You know what's crazy about this is both Terry and Timothy were both at one point defending the United States or serving the U.S., and now they're taking the training that they probably got during their time in the military and now using it against the country they once supported. They justified this by saying they're not fighting their country. They're fighting the government, the oppressive government. So that's how they justified this. They were fighting for America, you know, in Iraq, Mm -hmm. Kuwait. Here they're fighting the government for For America. America. They're still serving their country in their minds. In their head, yeah. Now, after they picked their target, his grandfather died. The one friend that he ever really had. Right. 
And probably the only person that may have been able to talk him off the ledge. Probably. Yeah. Shortly before the bombing happened, McVeigh slipped into using meth, marijuana, and LSD. As you know, one does, you know. Good old recreational drugs. Like, you know. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't, you know, just to hit just a go down to there. go down to 7-Eleven. <laughs> you can get your popcorn, your hot dog, and a bag of meth. Yeah. I mean, that's the typical American breakfast. I don't even know if you get bags of meth. I don't know how meth comes, but... I, you know, I've never done meth, so I don't know. Good. I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> so while working at a lakeside campground near McVeigh's old army post, he and Nichols constructed an... ANFO, explosive device, that's A-N-F-O, and they mounted it to the back of a rented rider truck. The bomb consisted of about 5,000 pounds. 5,000 pounds. Yeah, of ammonium nitrate and nitromethane. Oh. That's where the ANFO comes from. Now, where did they get this? So, they started purchasing in bulk, uh, like fertilizer and whatnot. Okay. And then they started bulk purchasing fuel oil, saying they're going to resell it. Mm -hmm. Right. It's it's crazy, you know, because that happened in the 90s before they probably tracked that too much. I w it probably wasn't easy, but it wasn't super difficult. If that were to happen today, they'd they would track your purchases, like everything is that would never happen. Not saying it, oh, it would absolutely happen today. It's just it's not that it would be a lot harder today for your Joe Blow to do this. Yeah, there're definitely ways around it, and unfortunately, you know evil things happen but it is crazy how within 30 years technology and tracking has changed so much well and that's actually why ted kaczynski why he ended up sending bombs out in the mail to different places because he thought the government was going to use new technology to start spying on people and tracking their every move which he was kind of right mm -hmm. to be honest but you still don't go blowing people up for it but that's another story once he dies <laughs> after putting the bomb into the back of this truck McVeigh drove the van himself to the Alfred P. Murrah building and lit a two-minute fuse before calmly walking away. On April 19, 1995, an explosion rocks Oklahoma City just after 9 a.m., killing 168 and wounding over 600. Now, on his way into the city, State Trooper Charlie Hanger saw a car driving away from the city without a plate. He decided they got this covered, so he flipped around to grab this vehicle, see what was going on. Mm -hmm. When he approached the vehicle, he saw what he thought to be a firearm in the vehicle, tucked underneath Tim's shirt. Okay. Tim looked up at the officer and said, my gun is loaded. Immediately, Charlie pulls his firearm, points it at his head, and says, so is mine. Got him out of the car, put him in cuffs, took him downtown. Now, was Timothy on his own? He wasn't with... He was by himself. Okay. Yeah. Because all I could see is, you know, the, the trooper pulling up the gun and then his buddy, so is mine, you know? Yeah, no, no, he, okay. was, he, was, he was not there. So McVeigh was brought to jail, and he was held until he could make bail. Now, right before he was released from jail, they received a phone call saying if he was still there, yes, he's still here, and under no circumstances to let him leave. Now, as far as the jail knows, this is just a guy driving without a plate. Right. And with an unregistered firearm. Mm -hmm. He did have a concealed weapons permit, but it wasn't for Oklahoma. For, okay. And Oklahoma didn't recognize his state. Okay. So they just thought, you know, here's a ticket and leave. Well, turns out they were able to identify him because something survived the blast. The car. The truck. The axle of the truck. And they were able to identify? Yes. Wow. So 
the axle of the rider truck that he used, it blew up, but it blew the axle away from the the explosion. Okay. And it landed. There's a VIN number on that axle. So they they were able to trace that VIN number from that axle to the truck. To where he rented it from. Go to Ryder. Yeah. They, so they went to Ryder, found out who it is. I think he put his name as like Daryl Might or something. He okay. used an, an alias. As someone in his position probably of course. would. Yeah. But the address he used was the hotel he was staying at. No. So he they, used his actual he name. He used his real name oh at the hotel. Oh my gosh. So they got him now. They know where he's at. And he's already in jail. That's okay. That just kind of goes in. That's, it sounds like a, a forensic file moment there. There's always, it feels like in most criminals, even the ones that think out everything, there's always one gap in yeah. their plan. And this is his gap. He didn't use a different name for the hotel. Well, but who's to say you just have 5,000 pounds in the back of a truck? Why would the axle survive right. it? Granted, it's steel, but you think that that's going to be blown apart just right. like the rest of it. Well, it tore down a building. You yeah. Know? So I think I think this is a good time to take a break. When okay. we come back, I'm going to have a little personal story real quick. Okay. And then we'll finish off Timothy McVeigh. Sounds good. We'll be right back. And we are back. Yes, we are. Before the break, we had talked about Timothy McVeigh's life as a child growing up, being in the Army, reading his favorite book, and we ended with him being caught after blowing up the federal building in Oklahoma City. Right. Now, I was talking to my mother-in-law. Her birthday was Sunday. Okay. So messaged her happy birthday yeah. and started talking, told her about what I was doing this week, and she reminded me of a story my wife told me many times that I for had forgotten that they lived in Oklahoma at the okay. time. My mother-in-law had recently lost her job and she was given a card to go down to this, to the federal building. And you say, you know, here's my card and apply for a job there. Oh, wow. Okay. I believe the job was with department of transportation. Okay. So getting a government job. Okay. Yes. And so she was going to go down there that day, April 19th, 19th okay. 1995. But it turns out that was her husband's birthday. So she figured he's probably going to be home from work early that day. Yeah. I'll just wait for him to get home and take their one car over there after he gets off. Gotcha. Right? Smart move. Of course. Obviously, we know what happened that day. Of course. And so luckily, she wasn't there because my life would have been drastically different. Yeah. Now, what time was she supposed to be there? She was supposed to be there in the morning. Okay. Like, so this was like an open job kind of thing. So gotcha. like you come in whenever you have time, show them your card, you, and apply for a job. Gotcha. Okay. But she was going to go in the morning, you know. And what time did the actual event take place? 9.02. Okay. So that would have been about the time she was there or... Yeah, close to close it. Close to it. So she actually, on her way there, it stopped at a 7-Eleven to put gas in the car. And she actually reminded me that at this time, gas was 99 cents a gallon. Oh, man. Missed so those days. As she was walking in to pay, uh, EMTs were running out, getting in their vans and leaving. Oh, geez. At this time in Oklahoma City, they parked their vans at 7-Eleven. Interesting. Okay. Which I thought was interesting. And she walked in to pay. The clerk was crying, and she asked, what happened? Were you robbed? 
the, the clerk said, no, somebody just blew up the IRS building downtown, and my daughter works there. Oh, jeez. Shelly, my mother-in-law, didn't go to the building. Of she course. She just went home. Yeah. And she found out that it was not the IRS building, that it was actually the federal building, the Murrah building. Now, my wife's daycare lady at the time, who was watching her in Oklahoma at that time, her husband was downtown when it happened. Oh, jeez. He actually even helped pull people out of the rubbish. Oh. And their neighbor's car was towed home about a week later from the blast area, and she said it was just flat as a pancake. I, I can believe it. She said she remembers thinking, how could someone do this? Those poor babies. It just is nuts to think that somebody could do something to that scale. I mean, that was, what, over 100 people? Yeah. And you look at the World Trade Centers, and then you look at, you know, just any sort of mass... Murder. I, I I don't know a terrorist, terrorist attack. attack. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the term I should be knowing. Um, but yes, so terrorist attack. How do you how do you do that? Like I can, I got I felt guilty for stepping on a bee the other day. You know, let alone <laughs> let alone killing hundreds of and even th- in some cases thousands of people. Yeah, like, no, I don't understand that. So for me, there's happen? a separation between humans and animals. I hunt. I fish. I kill bugs all the time. That doesn't bother me. It's it's a little different when it's a human being. Something God of has given a soul to. Yeah. So, but yeah, so I, I thought that was interesting. I, I didn't realize how close my wife's life had come to being changed like that. Of course. Yeah, because, I mean, she your your wife was born at that point, so... Obviously, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, just for well, a few she, she, she was at daycare. Oh, that's I, I'm just saying... <laughs> Yes. Okay. <laughs> I get it. Um, anyway, what was I going to say? Do you remember that day at all? I remember bits and pieces. I remember there being an event. Okay. So I was born, I was eight at this time. Okay. See, so I was I, only four. I was old enough to know something was happening, but I didn't have the wherewithal to know what okay. and what kind of scale it was on. Gotcha. But I remember something happening. Right. Now, 9-11, I was 14. Yeah. And I remember everything about that day. But that's a story yeah, for. A I, I was I was eleven when nine eleven happened. I just turned eleven. I remember where I was. I remember. I remember the exact TV I wa- was watching yeah. when when that when I found out. Yeah. At home and it's nuts, man. Quit killing people. Can't we just be nice? Isn't it crazy that when cre- you know when large events like this happen, you you remember exactly where you were. Yeah. Like there's only a few things that I remember. Nine eleven. I don't know why I also I know exactly where I was when Kobe Bryant died. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other like major event that I remember exactly where I was. So I remember my wedding day and my child being born. Okay, I mean some. <laughs> <laughs> I mean something at a global level that happened that you well, had no direct influence in or no direct. Well, my marriage and my child being born did have dramatic world-changing events. Yeah. <laughs> on a global scale. <laughs> it's driven your wife mad, but it's fine. <laughs> oh, you're right. Um, jumping back into things to get back on track. On August 10th, 1995, Timothy McVeigh was indicted on a leveral... On a leveral. On <laughs> leveral. On 11 federal counts, including conspiracy to use a weapon of mass destruction, use of a weapon of mass destruction, destruction with the use of explosives, and eight counts of first-degree murder for the deaths of law enforcement officers. Only eight. Only eight. We'll go into that just a little bit First later. First degree, though, right? Is nope. that is that Nope. But we'll get into it in just okay. a few minutes. 
Now, psychiatrists concluded he had a major depressive, narcissistic personality and schizophrenic personality disorders. Okay, so a ton of stuff. He was messed up. Right. On February 20th, 1996, the court granted a change of venue and ordered that the case be transferred from Oklahoma City to the district court in Denver to be presided over by District Judge Richard Paul Match. Okay, well, did they specifically say why they wanted him to look over it? They didn't say why, Okay, but I'm fairly certain the reason they moved it was there's zero chance of him getting any semblance of a fair trial. Makes sense, because somebody City. knows somebody who knows somebody. Exactly. I, I, that's, that, that makes sense. Now, on June 2nd, 1997, McVeigh was found guilty on all 11 counts of the federal indictment. Now, even though 168 people, including 19 children, were killed in the April 19th, 1995 bombing, murder charges were brought against McVeigh only for the eight federal agents who were on duty when the bomb destroyed a lot of the building that day. The Oklahoma City District Attorney Bob Macy said that he would file state charges in the other 160 murders after McVeigh's co-defendant, Terry Nichols, was tried. Okay. Now, since the case had been tried in federal court, not state court, the 160 murder counts couldn't be used there since it was not in their jurisdiction. I don't understand why, but it couldn't. Because now, it's a federal matter at that point? I assume so. Is it because it happened on federal land? I, I assume because it's a federal building. Okay. But I, I really don't know the ends and outs. I thought it was going to be something like double jeopardy, but then I'm like, that doesn't make sense. But yeah. uh, that's uh, that sucks. So so what you're telling me is that the federal government only cared about the federal employees. I'm not saying that. Okay. But that's what, that's what it the research like. says. Yeah. I will say he was given the death penalty for the eight federal murders. And since he'd already been given that, the state of Oklahoma decided not to bring him back to try him for the murders of its own citizens. This is something I both agree with and disagree with. Mm -hmm. The part I agree with is he's dying. There's no way out of it. Yep. There's no reason to waste taxpayer money defending yep. him. Right? There's no reason to bring this monster back to the scene of the crime. Yep. My other side of me says, my this, my husband, my wife, my son, my dog, whatever it was, died in this blast. Yeah. I want justice. But he, he is getting justice, though. He's getting justice legally for eight people. Okay. So, and that's why I said I'm torn on the issue. Yeah. See, I could see it as the fact of I wouldn't want to have to bring this back into the spotlight for these people. And so that was part of it. But now, I don't know. The people of Oklahoma City might have wanted that. Yeah, it, very well. I, 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 it, to each their own. Well, we're going to talk about how much they wanted to see him again here okay. in just a minute. Now, once he was convicted, he was housed in what's called Bombers Row in Florence Admax in Colorado. Okay. Before his death row stay. This is home to the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski. Okay. And the World Trade Center bomber, Ramsey Ahmed Usef, both of which he became friends with. Now, since there have now been multiple World Trade Center bombings, Ramsey's Ahmed Usef was a part of the 93 bombing. I was just going to ask that. I'm like, they caught somebody from that? Aren't they all dead? But then <laughs> no. that was from the 9-11. You're talking about the early The 90s, ones they okay. caught with that are in Guantanamo or dead now. With the 2001. Right. This is really weird. He actually became pen pals with Gore Vidal. Uh, who's Gore Vidal? Famous writer. What has he written? So Gore Vidal was a writer of both fiction, nonfiction, and he even became a screenwriter, like a screenplay writer yeah. in Hollywood. Yeah. Okay. 
He also became involved in politics and was very critical Man of, of many certain hats. people. Yeah. yeah. But a famous person nonetheless. Now, as he's pen pals with Timothy McVeigh, he even went on to defend his actions and to compare McVeigh to Paul Revere. Vidal said this. Vidal, Gore Vidal compared Timothy McVeigh to Paul Revere and claimed he was innocent of any wrongdoing, that he was justified for what he did. Except Paul Revere didn't blow up a building. No, Paul Revere is one of the main people that helped our country become our country. Right. Okay, I, this is going way out of the box when I say Bring this. Bring it on. But Paul Revere would have been seen to the Brits... As a tyrant, or a uh, traitor. As a, as a traitor and a terrorist. Yes. So, in a weird way, you can compare the two. If you do enough mental gymnastics, you can yes. make the two tie together, yes. Now, one did a unjust bombing on a federal building... One rode a horse and said, one if by land and two if by sea. Yes. So, you can't compare them there. No, but, but not he, at all. he compared them in the fact that they were both fighting for freedom, I assume. Right. I, I didn't go too much into this. I was blown away that anybody would defend him. But yeah, One crazy was a lunatic and one was justified. So, yeah. Yeah. He also had an interview shortly before his death where he claimed that he had come to terms with death and was prepared for it since the Gulf War. He went on to say, quote, I knew I wanted this to happen before it happened. I knew my objective was state-assisted suicide, and when it happens, it's in your face. You did something you're trying to say should be illegal. He also claimed that his only regret was not completely destroying the federal building. So, so after the Gulf War, he was just like, screw it, I'm just going to do something that I get killed for. Well, it wasn't after the Gulf War. It was when he went to war. Okay. He came to terms that he's going to die. Okay. Because a lot of soldiers figured, we're in the, the poop now. Mm -hmm. Chances of it happening you know, are a lot higher now than of course. It was a week ago, whatever. Yeah. So he just came to terms. That was probably a coping mechanism for him to get through war. Yeah. Was the fact that, yeah, he's going to die. Whatever, you'll die, you'll die. Once he got out and decided his mission was what his mission was, that's when he just went... My goal is now state-assisted suicide. I'm going to die being a martyr for this cause, right? McVeigh was transferred to Indiana to be placed on death row. At this time, he dropped all of his appeals and claimed he would rather die now than be in prison for life. So he quit fighting it. So just real quick, this is kind of this my personal thought on things. I think, personally, that the death penalty is the easy way out. Because then you don't have to deal with a life in prison. But that that's just me personally. Uh, I think it'd be harder to live in prison your entire life than to to be killed. And see, I disagree. And, and, and many people do. And, and, and that's For the fine. simple fact that I don't want people to suffer necessarily. Yeah. Granted, I haven't had anyone murdered in the way that he has murdered mm -hmm. people. But I don't want anyone to, to suffer for their entire life. Plus, there's people like this that are monsters that just simply need to not be here anymore. If you're in prison, there's a chance you can get out, whether it's legally or Ill illegally. And if you do, you know this guy, if he broke out, he's not just going to go home and learn how to bake muffins and live off the land. No, and, and, he's going to keep blowing people up. And I understand, and I completely understand where you're coming from. See, I feel like people do deserve to suffer, and killing them is taking away that suffering. I guess. But again, and, and to two each different, their own. Absolutely. You know? And that's that's how I've always felt 
but then again, I think that I eh, never mind. I'm not gonna say anything. But <laughs> this is just another yeah. thing where you and I disagree. Like many of Americans, this could be a hot debate for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. There are people that think the death penalty is never okay. See, now I'm not gonna say I want to get rid of it. I totally understand it, and I think it in cases it needs to be done. But I think, just personally, I think a life in prison is easier than death. Okay. I'm oh, sorry. A life in prison is harder than death. That's yeah. what I mean. I get you. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. That was right, we're not friends thing. anymore, but okay. <laughs> now, on June 11th, Oklahoma watched as Tim was put to death. Okay. I'll say that again. On June 11th, Oklahoma watched as Timothy McVeigh was put to death. Okay. So, so many people from Oklahoma wanted to watch his death in person. That so there was a went. there was a lottery system that had to be implemented. Oh my gosh! And those who didn't win a front row seat would have to watch via television. Oh jeez! It was televised in Oklahoma. Is this the only case? In I all- don't know if it's the only case of a televised. Was Hussein televised? I feel like was it? I remember watching videos of it. Okay, well maybe it was. Maybe it was just a government snuff film. <laughs> I don't know if it was like YouTube films or whatever, but I swear I've, I remember him being hung. But that's nuts. Okay. Now, while being injected with a lethal mixture, he stared at the camera, never changing his gaze. He forced himself to keep his eyes open to where even after his heart had stopped beating, his lifeless eyes continued to peer into the camera that was watching him. Nah, that's freaky. Now, this takes... Around seven minutes to die mm-hmm. from this. He stared at the camera for over seven minutes and continued to stare after he was dead. Just like a thousand yard death stare. I, he I just, wanted to leave his mark. And he did. Up until 2001, he was the man behind the deadliest attack in America. That's, that's nuts. He's only trumped by the World Trade Center in 2001. Right. World Trade Centers, Pentagon, Fields, all things. Side note, I actually had a cousin in the Pentagon when it was attacked. Did you really? Yeah, he's alive. I've met him because um, I don't believe that many people actually died in the Pentagon attack. It was actually, if I remember correctly, and with the stories that he's told, this could be wrong, but uh, that section of the Pentagon was actually under renovation, so there wasn't that many people oh, that were in God, the Pentagon. Yeah. Uh, obviously, th- I know there may be people listening that lost somebody in the Pentagon, and I am so sorry for your loss, but... Yeah, I had my cousin, or my dad's cousin, was there, and then my grandfather was actually visiting the White House that day, and was on the White House lawn when the Trade Centers were attacked. Jeez. So yeah, it. it I remember that day, and we probably we should probably do a podcast on it someday. But I remember my dad just being in total like hysterics that whole day. Yeah. So. I, anyway, geez, I can imagine. Now, McVeigh's accomplice, Terry Nichols, was convicted and sentenced in federal court to life in prison for his role in the crime. And at Nichols' trial, evidence was presented indicating that others may have been involved. Okay. Several residents of central Kansas, including real estate agent Georgia Rucker and retired Army NCO, testified at Terry Nichols' federal trial that they had seen two trucks at Geary Lake State Park where prosecutors alleged the bomb was built. Okay. Not just one rider truck, okay. but two. two. Now, the retired officer said he visited the lake on April 18, 1995, but left after a group of what he called surly men looked at him aggressively. 
and the operator of the Dreamland Motel testified that there were, again, two Two rider trucks that had been parked outside her Grandview Plaza Motel where McVeigh stayed in room 26 the weekend before the bombing. Terry Nichols is also being held at ADX Florence in Colorado. So, does he have the death penalty, or is that just life in prison? No, he he just has life in prison, okay. because his role in it was helping build the bomb, helping fund but it. But he didn't he actually didn't. detonate it. Exactly. So, Which I still think he should have the death penalty for, because he's just as guilty as pulling the trigger. Exactly. Or lighting the fuse, right. whatever. So, they're talking about a second truck. Yes. And this is probably something outside of what you researched, and so if you don't have an answer, that's fine. Bring it up. But I'd be really interested to know, the damage that was done to the building... Could one truck have done that? See, I don't know. And people still to this day are arguing over the World Trade Center in 2001. Mm-hmm. Was it one plane? Was it two planes? Were there bombs that went off before? Were there jets that came and shot at it and then the plane flew into it? You'll never know. Have you ever seen... It was illegal for a long time, and I don't know if it still is, but it was it was a, it was a documentary called Loose Change. Never heard of it. Okay, it was basically how... And I do not believe this. I've seen this video, but I do not believe this. That 9-11 was an inside job. I've yeah. heard it before. It's it's nuts. But, yeah. I don't see. The, the argument I've heard for that is that the United States wanted to get oil from that area, so they blew up our own buildings and blamed it on people in that area so we could go get their oil. There's a lot of conspiracies, I believe. Mm-hmm. In. This just isn't one of them. Yeah. So, speaking of conspiracies, totally off topic. How would you guys feel about us doing a humanizing history on maybe a handful of government conspiracies pertaining to things like Operation Bluebird, uh, Operation Paperclip, MK Ultra, stuff like that? Please. Literally, all of those are tied together. But anyway. Well, they started with Bluebird, right. but they're different operations. Yeah. Artichokes in there also. Right. But those are the ones a lot of people know about. Yeah. Let me know, because that's something I'd love to get into, but I don't know if it's something our audience would love for me to sit here and go into. And, so, and maybe we go into a side Patreon or something. I don't know. Not that we have Patreon yet. but We don't. But if you want to send money, let me know. I'll give you a place to send it. <laughs> so. Dude, MKUltra's nuts. I would totally do one on MK that. MKUltra spans so many different things. It's not just mind control. It goes into a bunch of different facets. Oh, it goes into... You know, chemical testing, it goes into... Yes. It's, and it's it's not just America. Canada, yep. there's... Germany, there's yes. a ton of it. Yes, so I listened to a four-part podcast on MK Ultra, and it oh, blew my freaking mind. Yeah. And the four-part podcast is only on the 30,000 pages that were saved. Right. The other 100,000 are gone. So, right. in any case, I'm going to dive down a rabbit hole. You guys are going to sit here and not want to hear. If anything, even if they don't want to do, even if our listeners don't want to do conspiracies because you guys are lame. Um, <laughs> just kidding. You guys are not lame. We should at least do one on, what's the dude's name? Um, the main guy behind MK Ultra. Sydney? Yes. Sydney. Gottlieb. Yeah, Sydney Gottlieb. Yeah. If anything, we should do one on Sydney Gottlieb. So, what's funny is I was going to cover him this week. That would literally take like five episodes. So my thing is, this is a real quick story. I was going to cover Cindy Gottlieb. And Ted Kaczynski was a part of some of those trials. So so that's why I was going to tie into this and tie into that. But then I I realized Ted Kaczynski's still alive. Mm -hmm. So, all right, I'll leave that one until he dies. Then we'll cover him because we only cover dead people. Um, So, yeah, but but I want to cover him too. Yeah. So anyway, we're going to get back on track here. (laughs) 
Now, Michael, his other friend, Michael Fortier, and his wife, Lori, were also considered accomplices due to their foreknowledge of the bombing. And they knew about this years before, possibly, because they lived in Kingman, okay. and that's where Ted stayed when he was here. Gotcha. He lived with them for a while. Now, in addition to Michael assisting McVeigh in scouting the federal building, Lori helped McVeigh laminate fake driver's licenses, which he used to rent the rider truck, right? Right. Michael agreed to testify against McVeigh and Nichols in exchange for a reduced sentence and immunity for his wife. Okay. He was sentenced on May 27, 98, to 12 years in prison and fined $75,000. He got off way too easy, I think. Uh, yes. I think they did not need his testimony. No. They should have just said, nope, enough you're along for the ride, you're getting life too. Yeah. But I'm not the government. Now, on January 20th, 2006, I'm sure you guys will all be just pleased to hear that Fortier was released from prison for good behavior and placed into the witness protection program and given a new identity. Oh, jolly. Good for him, right? Am, are, are you him? <laughs> you know what? I'm, I'm not quite as old as he is. <laughs> But, but no, I'm not him. Okay. Just making sure. You know, you never know. <laughs> An ATF informant, Carol Howe, told reporters that shortly before the bombing, she had warned her handlers that guests of Elohim City in Oklahoma were planning a major bombing attack. Okay. McVeigh was issued a speeding ticket there at the same time. So, now, other than the speeding ticket, there's nothing else to tie him there, but... There was also a bunch of Midwest bank robberies that had happened at the time okay. from Elohim City. So there, there were there were small strings that tied it together of maybe some money came from there. Maybe they had oh, similar views, okay. so they helped him, but nothing was ever proven. Okay, okay. There's also rumors that McVeigh didn't act only with Terry, Mike, and Lori. As some witnesses claim to have seen a second suspect... And there was even a search for a John Doe number two, but he was never found. Okay. And this sounds, this, this kind of ties in with the second rider truck. Mm -hmm. I, I think that that makes sense. And something to that magnitude, not saying that four people couldn't execute that, it sounds pretty, pretty big for only four people to be a part of that. So I can see both sides of it. Because again, if you have too many people, someone's going to say something. Yep. yep. Some dummy's going to go to a bar and brag to his buddies about doing something, mm -hmm. right? If you have that few people, though, like, let's, it's a group of, what, five people, possibly? Right. I, I can totally see them being able to rent a couple rider trucks, mix a bunch of chemicals, mount it to a truck, and go their separate ways. Yeah. Okay, but, no, I can see that, too. We'll never know. Yeah. You know, we'll never know the truth either way. But that is... The life of Timothy McVeigh and the mark that he left, the skid mark that he left on America. Yeah. And, yeah. So, I know you knew of the bombing. Is there anything new that you learned here? <laughs> what wasn't new that I learned? Uh, I didn't really know much. So, like I said, I was four when this took place. Sure. So, the Oklahoma City bombing has always been kind of just this thing. It was this thing that happened in history. It happened in my lifetime. I don't really know much about it. So even when you said, oh, hey, I'm covering Timothy McVeigh today, I was kind of like, okay, great, who's that? But once you said Oklahoma City bombing, I knew that for some reason I thought it was an FBI building. I didn't realize it was just a federal building. Mm -hmm. That was one thing I learned. Um, 
but it was interesting that it was it wasn't directly tied into Waco and to uh, Ruby, Ruby Ridge. Ruby Ridge, um, but it was influenced by that. Yeah, and I just think that's crazy how history repeats itself, and we see that in both good ways and bad ways. And yeah. this was another one, but this is this really sparked my interest just because it's it's a crazy thing that happened, and I, I learned quite a bit today. So. Much like you, I knew what it was, mm-hmm. and a lot of the things surrounding it, I knew a lot of the conspiracies that surrounded it, to be honest. Okay. Um, which I didn't talk about all of them. There's a bunch more. There's conspiracies that tie Muslims into this, and a part of the World Trade Center tied into this, and all, just a whole bunch of weird things. But the thing I didn't know is that it was influenced, like you said, by Waco and Ruby Ridge. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that this whack job that blew up a building went down to Waco to see what was happening. Yeah. For me, for whatever reason, they seem like worlds apart. Right. But either way, he, he's a loon. He's gone now, thank God. And hopefully we can learn from his mistakes and learn to handle our differences better than he did. The only problem is, is it's going to happen again. Unfortunately, Unfortunately, I think you're right. And it, and we've seen crazy things happen since then. Anyways, this was a terrible event, but it definitely brings to light a lot of history, a lot of things that we can learn from this. But yeah, my condolences to anybody who listened, if you have any family that was part um, of the Oklahoma City bombing or you've lost in the Oklahoma City bombing. I have thoughts and prayers to you, and I'm sorry that you'd go through that. Yeah, Absolutely. The thing about this that that makes no sense to me, though, is he has an issue with the government. Mm -hmm. Why is he taking it out on citizens? Because he blew up, granted, a federal building. The building didn't do anything to you. So you're going after the people in the building. And he scouted this location. He knew there was a daycare center there. He knew kids were going to be there. He killed eight federal employees that had never heard of him before, Mm -hmm. that had no idea about what he was doing. And he killed... 160 just civilians, just regular people walking around. How does that help your cause if you're going after the government? I think it was a stepping stone. I don't think this was going to be his last. I think this was kind of the wake-up call of, hey, there's this person out there trying to do this stuff. Gotcha. I think if he wouldn't have been caught, we would have seen something bigger and not better, but, you know, bigger in magnitude. Yeah. So I think this was really just kind of a wake-up call, hey, we're here. But he got caught. Thank, Thank God, God he got yeah. yeah. Well, well, on that note, folks, have a good night. Love each other. Hug your family. Be happy you have somebody. Don't Love blow each up other. any buildings. Don't blow up any buildings. <laughs> My God, please be decent to people. Hope you guys all have a great week, and uh, we'll be back next week. Yeah. Be nice to each other. Bye. Peace.